0: Entrepreneurs on Boyne The Brew, you're now listening to the Entrepreneur Podcast with your host, Adam McChesney. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Entrepreneur Podcast. I'm your host, Adam McChesney, and I want to thank you for being here today. If you're listening, please be sure to subscribe to the show and leave us a five-star review on Apple and Spotify. We would love for you to share this content on social media by tagging me and our guests, and this way we can get this content out to more people. Today's episode is one I've been excited for for quite some time. He's someone I've been connected to online for the past few years and someone I truly look up to in the entrepreneurial space because in a world full of people who are fake or post- posers, he's actually the opposite. He's done a lot of this stuff himself and he's going to go through that today. I respect him and everything that he's done. And I can't wait for you to learn some of the valuable information today that I've been able to extract over the last couple of years. Today's guest is Tony Watley. He is the founder of 365 Driven and the host of the 365 Driven podcast. He is a business coach focused on helping companies scale and exit, specializing in those things. Tony, welcome to the show.
1: Hey Adam, thank you for having me on the show, man. And I don't know, man, I might be pretty fake. I guess you're gonna have to figure this out. <laughs> so we'll we'll see how this goes, man. Yeah, I mean, I, I could have just bought thirty thousand followers this morning. Yeah. You know, you never know. You, you never know, man.
0: You uh, there's there's always something new that's out there that you're like, man, is that is that real or is, is it is it fake? in and, and there's so much noise that's going on right now, especially totally. with with AI and all this crazy, crazy crap. So um, in a world full of those types of people, it's refreshing your your podcast when you're a guest on podcast and just the content that you put out on social. I enjoy consuming it because it's not some big sales pitch. And there's also like reality behind it. Right. So I appreciate yeah. you and just want to say thank you for for being who you are and, and being the, the real you.
1: You know, the the weird thing about that is when I decided to leave corporate in 2015 and go full time into consulting and coaching, man, I had a lot of heartburn about putting myself out there and I didn't like being on cameras or recorded voice or definitely didn't want to be on a stage and things like that because I'd built a lot of success kind of hiding behind the logo of my companies and did it privately. And. You know I, I learned as a kid to kind of try to try to fit in and not stick your head above water because you could get chopped off and things like that so i mean then i, I got in the space i'm looking on facebook and instagram and tiktok and there was just so many people doing just fake bullshit like just non-stop and you know renting the lamborghinis like all the cliche things you know and standing in your garage and saying knowledge and shit. so and i realized that in order for me to put myself out there before people knew me, I was going to get lumped into the same box. Mm-hmm. I was going to be the exact same as them. And everybody's going to be like, oh, this guy's probably fake. Look at all the cars he has and things like that. And and it, part of me didn't want to even do it. And it took me another year and a half to finally start thinking about, okay, I'm going to take this serious. Because, yeah, there was a lot of fakes and a lot of weird shit going on. But I'm not like that. I'm going to keep my integrity in check. I'm going to be humble about the things I'm doing. And then I know it's going to take years to grow this. And so around 2017 is when I started doing content and videos and putting myself out there and being really uncomfortable doing it. And I just didn't want to be categorized with those people. So now I just have fun making fun of this shit. And it's a lot more <laughs> enjoyable.
0: It, it definitely is. And I really like what you said there. And I like that you kicked it off there because like I went full time in entrepreneurship and really started building my personal brand back in 2020. And Mm -hmm. it's one of those things where, like, I look back at so many people who have entered the space, especially in digital marketing or or whatever industry you want to be and have since left because they had all of those like flashy things and they Mm -hmm. built like a million dollar business in 10 days and all those types of things. But they're gone now. And I look at like me thinking like very, you know, out of mind being like, man, I kind of like want the success and all those things, but there's, it's gotta be too good. It's too good to be true. Right. And I look over the last couple of years of like, man, it's been a slow burn. And now people are looking at me of like, Hey, like how long have you been doing this? Like, it seems like it's an overnight success. I'm like, no man, like you should have seen the first year I had like five people liking my, my stuff. And it was my mom and my dad and and like, and all of this stuff, it wasn't the sexy, like quick burn that a lot of people I think are looking for with like instant gratification.
1: No, and actually, I was just having a conversation on that subject with a client of mine right before this interview, and he was considering starting a PR agency to help people in marketing, getting on stages and podcasts. And I said, man, this sounds good, and it sounds like you're really helping people, but what I've determined over my years of doing this now is that if you're promoting somebody or you're trying to be a star maker, you can't be doing more work than that person should be doing for themselves first. Mm-hmm. And so when you think about this, everybody wants a shortcut. Just like you said, they want the influence. They want the fame. They want to get on these big stages, get on these different podcasts. They want to call up Joe Rogan and go, yo, bro, like, can I be on the number one show in the world? Like, <laughs> you don't know me, but you will if they, if you bring me on the show. And, and so you have this weird lack of humility and big egos out there. Mm-hmm. And they want to pay someone to go promote them for them but they're doing it wrong because I've seen this before. People with actually a lot of money will try to get into the space and they think, well, I just throw a bunch of ad dollars and run a bunch of ads and hire an agency. Like I'm going to get all these opportunities, but it doesn't work for them either mm. because you can put the marketing out there. You can put your face out there through paid ads, but if somebody clicks through and goes to your website or visits your social media platforms and they look the, and there's nothing there and you're not really doing anything, you're not contributing the value on the back end. You're basically advertising an empty store. And when people show up to an empty store, they don't do any shopping or hanging around. So that's why I say if you're going to market and build something, you better be damn sure you're putting all the effort you can humanly put possible behind yourself first. And then you hit that plateau and you can't go any higher. And that's when you should be reaching out to PR and media to amplify where you're already at.
0: Mm, yeah. No, I, I mean, I think. That exactly what you just mentioned, a lot of different avenues feed into that, whether it's digital Mm -hmm. marketing, whether it's PR, whether it's influence, whether it's hiring a business coach, like all those types of things where you're on a solid foundation and you have the track record and you have the business, you have all Mm -hmm. those things when there's not like, obviously there's going to be holes in the business and the systems and things like that. But when it's real, when it's authentic. You're able to amplify it that much more versus if you're on a faulty foundation and all these things come uh, into play, it ends up crumbling down. So, what types of like coaching programs and things like that that do you offer right now, and like who is your ideal client?
1: Well, I would say that there's different tiers with coaching. You have the the free mass market that would be the podcast, three sixty five driven. There's a book on Amazon, fourteen dollar, very low entry ticket to help people start businesses. Right, so. Mm You try to build a succession plan. That way people can start because you want to be able to help as many as pu- people as possible, but they can't always have access to my time because that's the limited variable. Mm-hmm. But then you have the mastermind group coaching type formats where these are groups of usually eight to 15 type of people could be various industries. I've got one right now that's going on that's really focused on automotive industry, things I have my background. Mm-hmm. And those are like one-year programs where we, we bring different business owners in and we have like a collective thought. We share networks, education experience. I'm coaching those things. We meet up every other week, that kind of idea. And then the private one-on-one clients tend to be business owners that are seven and eight figures. So I think my lowest revenue is probably a 1.5 company. And I've got a client that's about 50 million a year. So it kind of varies in there. But a lot of the problems when you have that that kind of business, even in the 10 million plus mark is a lot of the issues are the same thing. And most people would be surprised if you never had a business coach, like a legit business coach, you'll find that 75% of the conversations are actually not about your business. It's about what the biggest problem or challenge that you're facing any given day, because we know that if there's something that's going on in your life, whether that's your children or a a crappy employee or a bad partner, your wife's giving you a bunch of shit, like whatever your biggest anxiety and challenges in this moment is the thing that you're going to be preoccupied, focusing on all the time. You're not going to be able to look about P and L's and processes and systems and scaling until we get that out of the way. So good business coaches are almost like an, uh, like an unlicensed therapist that help you kind of work through things that are within your control, learning how to fade the things that are not in your control and be like, dude, the outcome is going to be what it is. Let's focus on what we can work on. What's the next step prioritizing those kind of things. So You know, legit business coaches are really what I call myself a high performance coach now because I want you to be really strong in fitness, your faith, your family and your finances, all the F's. Right. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. And and I really appreciate you you saying that. I was having a conversation with somebody actually earlier today about a very similar thing is so many people hire business coaches thinking that they're only going to see an impact in their business my Mm -hmm. best return on investment, whether it's been joining a mastermind or hiring multiple business coaches over the last couple of years is who I became as a person, as a husband, as a now father, as an entrepreneur, because typically we're the bottleneck to that next level of growth because we're the one in the driver's seat.
1: That's right. You, you become the limit of your own potential and your potential is endless, but you got to always invest in new skills and new knowledge. And you know, a lot of times, even in the mastermind, people will think, OK, that's probably a lesser offering and, it, you know, it costs less. So it's got to be less valuable. It's not true, because at that level of business, when you're just getting started or let's say the, the zero to one million revenue mark, if you're in that range right now, you're probably better off in a mastermind than you would be with a one on one coach. And it sounds counterintuitive, but I want you to understand that most of the aha moments, all the takeaways that you would actually have is when you hear other people being coached, especially when you're hearing other people ask questions that you didn't even know it existed. Like, holy crap, they just asked something I never even thought of before. Let me sit in and listen to see how this gets coached. And then you see the feedback and the experience pouring from the other people in the room. And they realize like, oh my gosh, like, I need to apply that to my company. I didn't even know that. Like, I didn't understand that gotcha that trap. And then even with a one-on-one coach, you may not ever arrive at that question because sometimes that coach is at a higher level and they they operate with the kind of the, the rudimentary stuff in the background because they've you know, been in that life for so long. But it takes that other person at the same level as you to ask it or have the courage to ask it. And then you're like, damn, like now I know.
0: Mm-hmm. What also I think has that sense of like inclusion and you feel like you're not on this island because as entrepreneurs, we always feel like there's no way somebody's going through exactly what I'm going through right now. It might not be apples to apples, but it's like 99% the same thing somebody's gone through. And when you're in those environments, it it does help you feel like you are not alone and not crazy, which kind of leads my next question. At what point, after leaving corporate America, did you start to invest in mastermind and coaches yourself?
1: I've been doing my, all during my corporate life. Okay. I mean, I was on the executive path and yep. I was working my way up to a vice president of some multi-billion dollar companies. And so I would already be investing in leadership training and coaching and things like that and performance. And You know, the thing about leadership is that people think that it's a title. Most Mm -hmm. if you've got an employee mindset or you come from corporate, you think that I just get the promotion, the job title that says manager. So you think you're a leader. But. Those of us that are truly studying leadership, we understand, yeah, there's a manager who is really dictating rules and following policy and making sure people are standing in line and doing the things that are required. They're very important roles, but a leader is a completely different role where you're trying to encourage people and you're also acting as a steward of them as an individual, because if somebody's reporting to me or working for me, I realize that our time is kind of like the two ships passing and there's a very finite amount of time that you're going to be able to influence that person. So as a true leader, you're trying to influence them to become a better human. You want them to adopt better core values and understand that I am the steward of your future progress and I may train you and teach you all these things and you may leave. And that's okay because a growth mindset realizes like, Hey, I prepared that person for something better in their own lives. And if they need to go pursue that, I don't have a problem with that because that's who I am. Mm -hmm. There's going to be somebody else will come in. I can mentor and we can complain about, well, I train everybody and they leave. That's a fixed mindset. If you've ever caught yourself saying that, think about how you would feel if the the roles were reversed. Let's say you came into a company, which we all have, and you trained and you had such talent that you became in a position that was limiting your growth and you decided to leave, which most of us have, and you went on to find better things. Like, how are you going to judge people that do the same thing to you if you would have been limited in your opportunities had you stayed? Like, if I would have stayed a fry cook at McDonald's for the rest of my life and just complained, like, why? what would that, like, what kind of impact in my life would that have been? Like, mm-hmm. you know, well, you know, we can't have this turnover. So, you know, Tony's the best fry cook and, you know, we got to just keep them here forever. We'll just keep paying him an extra 25 cents an hour. He'll stay here forever. No, guys. If you want growth for yourself, you got to be able to allow for growth for other people.
0: Mm. I completely agree and and would love to get your thoughts on, on the particular question of when you're growing as an entrepreneur, whether it's your business partner, whether it's a spouse or whether it's your other employees, how do you mentor and coach people that are coming to you and saying, hey, Tony, I see the future. I'm leveling up. I'm doing all these things. I'm becoming the best version of myself. But my partner, my spouse, my team is not coming on that journey with me. They're they're not interested.
1: I think that it applies to whatever role they tend to be sitting in. If they're in a supportive role and they're just kind of the MVP in the background doing things and operations and they're not really part of leadership or the direction of the company, it's okay to keep people like that. If they're good productive workers and they are doing what you expect of them, Mm -hmm. realize that not everybody's going to have that same core value. Realize that, Majority of the workforce, let's, let's say the majority of the population, are not interested in personal development. They're not looking at, about visualizing. They're not thinking about themselves in a year, three years from now. That it's just it's absurd to most people until they get into it and they start to see the results for themselves, and then they believe it. It's a lot like religion when you think of this. Mm. There's a lot of people who are like ah, organized religion's garbage, and there's a lot of crime and you know pedophiles and like all this crazy like we hear that kind of stuff and there are examples of that there's evidence that that does occur but then some people will go through some kind of life circumstance they will go to church and they will you know be born again and they will literally will change their mindset about the complete thing that they used to say the opposite of and so until people get into something they find out what it works for them and they start to see results for themselves then they start to adopt it and it becomes part of their their own belief system so I try not to judge people that i used to judge this is this is maturity and wisdom i used to judge them and be like hey how come you can't keep up how come you can't stay in shape how come you can't you know treat your wife better how come you can't spend more time with your kids like that's the judgmental part because that's also being a hypocrite because we've all been in the negative side of that as well when we come through Mm. so i try to have empathy more for people and understanding i'm meeting them where they're at I don't understand their background. I don't understand who raised them. I don't understand the limitations they've been having in their lives or their personal thoughts. And so I try to meet them where they're at. And a good coach will ask right questions and encourage people and see the potential within them that they may not necessarily see for themselves. And that's your duty is to pour into them until you start to see the results and they start to believe in them because you may be the first person that's ever confided in them or been proud of them. Mm. You know, a lot of people have never heard. I'm proud of you. You're doing so well, something that simple. So many people have never heard that. And it's sad. It's really sad. It's unfortunate. So be the person that's pouring into them, that sees the opportunities that they may not necessarily see for themselves and keep being the right leader. And if they're, if they're pushing you away and they're going counter and just being toxic about it, you got to get rid of those people Like they're not going to come around. You had to, they had to at least tolerate you at first, right? Because that gives them hope. But if they're just going counter to you and trying to be cancerous to your organization, they don't belong in your organization.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I definitely can can see where a lot of that has an impact, especially like if they're willing to continue to be at least at the level that they were at, that's producing, continue to keep them around. But if they're a cancer, if they're negatively impacting, those people just have to go. Nothing is likely going to change from that. What yeah. are you seeing right now when people are, are coming to you and they're like, hey, Tony, I know you mentioned like people are hiring you and, and working with you to scale and then exit. But Outside of maybe those things, or maybe if that is one of the key things right now, what are you seeing right now in the market that a lot of people are like, hey, Tony, I need help solving X, Y, and Z right now?
1: I think it's really about accessibility and understanding your proximity when, when you're a business owner. I mean, there's a lot of times people are like, well, I like the open door policy, and I like my, my people just to be able to dip in and go, hey, can I ask you a question, boss? And mm. That sounds great and it works maybe for some really small companies or if you have a a staff of employees who are really self-starters and you don't really need to guide them and they're not bothering you all the time. But for most companies, especially larger ones, that open door policy sounds good, but it's really just robbing you of your own attention and your own momentum because it takes a lot of time for us to switch gears. So let's say you're really focused on a task where you're doing analytical things, you're running numbers, you're planning, you're strategizing, and then you get the knock, knock, knock and employees like hey boss you got a few minutes and you're like yeah i'm a nice guy you're like come on in open door policy so you spend all this time and you waste all that time because then as soon as they leave you got to regroup and you go where was i and i had to backtrack and kind of rebuild that momentum so you're losing a lot of time and that probably will burn five ten minutes every time you do that so humans are not really good at switching tasks so therefore we always want to make sure we're operating from a calendar simple calendar whatever's on your phone if you got a iPhone or Gmail calendar, like whatever you work where you can enter the task. like you and I, we scheduled this interview on a calendar. So Therefore, I'm able to be fully present during this time slot. I'm not worried about what's coming up next or what happened earlier this morning, what's coming up tomorrow. And I think also one of the biggest source of anxiety from people is because they're trying to remember all the things they have to do. But if you could just adopt working from a calendar and booking out specific time for each task that you should be doing. It gets it out of your brain you don't have to remember it anymore it's all written there it's planned weeks in advance months in advance if you're like me and now i can be focused really present on the thing that i'm working on in that time slot that i happen to be in at any given time and i don't have to worry about what's coming up tomorrow or the friday or saturday or sunday and things like that so learn to do those kind of things guard your time guard your proximity guard your access and don't think that you're being a bad person to do that, but you really do have to be this way to to have the, you know, the, like no one answers. Nobody calls my phone. I, I don't have the ringers on. I have zero notifications. I control access to my phone. I don't let the phone control access to me. Somebody sends me a text message. They should not expect a response until I am ready to look at the phone. I do not let my 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 inbox or my phones dictate what I do. I control like hey, between 9 and 10 a.m., I will look in my inbox and I will go through that, take the highest priorities, respond, forward on the rest one to the team. I may look again between 3 and 4 p.m. every day. That's the only time I'm looking in the inbox. I will not look in, like some people look at it every every 10 minutes or looking for something, you know. Yeah, if you're looking for some important thing, maybe that situation, but people like get addicted to the inbox, they get addicted to texts, they get addicted to direct messages on social platforms. Like you got to remove all that stuff and really focus on what you should be working on. Mm,
0: Yeah, no, you're literally preaching to the choir right there. I earlier this year, I put everything on do not disturb. I started structuring out time when I would respond to emails, uh, call people back, all of those things. And it was the biggest game changer, not just from a productivity standpoint, but from that stress and anxiety. And I did it for two years where I was like letting this thing control me. And I thought that I had to be – and I'm sure a lot of the people that you work with think, hey, I have to be like right by my phone because if a customer calls me, if a team member – like if somebody calls me and I don't answer right away, what are they going to think of me?
1: Yeah, it's it's crazy how – here's the problem with technology. I mean I'm 51 for reference. so. When i started my first company facebook and instagram and all that didn't even exist i mean i actually exited my first company before instagram and facebook existed kind of give you perspective so i'm very familiar with building successful companies without relying on social media and all this access mm-hmm. and that's a much easier way to do things it's a much better life if you can go back to the 1980s 1990s mentality of running businesses yeah because with the advent of technology and instant contact and being able to go live on video and all these different ways to get to you. The problem was, was all this technology was developed to get us time back to our lives. Mm -hmm. Think about this, all the automation apps, all these really cool widgets that we do to automate things and compress time for us. What do we do as entrepreneurs? We do stupid things like backfill that free time with more work. So we are literally working more than somebody worked in 1980 and 1990 to get the same result because we have technology to compress time so we can do more work and have more productivity is the fallacy, right? We think it's more productivity, but it's at the cost of our own mental and physical health. Mm. So if you really wanted to do things right and use technology the way it was invented and intended – You would do things to compress time. Yes, that means working less and then filling that back time with things that actually fulfill you, your family, your hobbies, your travel, growing things that you enjoy doing. So don't be backfilling to do more work. It's crazy.
0: Mm, Yeah. No, I literally I can see how impactful. Those simple things are, but I've also seen the adverse effect of like, okay, I'm going to stop doing this, but I'm going to start doing more. And it should be that opposite effect of those things, which I can definitely see. What, what do you say to somebody like, cause I'm sure you see this as well. And i talked to a lot of entrepreneurs that struggle giving up control thinking that like, Hey, nobody, Tony, nobody can do X, Y, and Z better than me. So like, that's why I'm not delegating and elevating within my company or whatever it might be. What do you say to that person?
1: I asked them how big or financially successful they would like to be because everybody's a different answer, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. When I was younger, when I was in my twenties and thirties, I was all about trading time for dollars and pursuing money and trying to make my millions of dollars, right? That like I was willing to make sacrifices in family and health and, and things like that. Like most men like, we should go do that. Like you got to do what it takes, pay your dues, like that kind of crazy shit. Right. Yep. You kind of drink the Kool-Aid and you go do it and it worked and I made a lot of money. But then you start to realize, like, I missed on a lot of opportunities and memories and things that I should have been focused on. I could have really had really the same outcome if I would have just pulled back on this, this and this and did a little bit more of this. Right. And so everybody's got different lifestyle and financial goals. And so I like to work backwards from that. So really, I think that income wise, depending if you're not living somewhere like Silicon Valley or New York City, like stupid places with high expensive rates to say average, right? Your lifestyle really changes around the 100,000 a year mark. And then it really kind of changes again around the 200,000 a year mark. But then between 200 a year and 400 a year, your lifestyle really doesn't change a lot. It sounds crazy. Like you doubled your income, but no, by, by the time you're, Averaging 200,000 a profit a year, you you kind of already bought what you want. Anyways, you already have the house probably going to live in for a few years anyways. And going to 400 is not going to increase your lifestyle some more. So it's weird until you start making a million a year. That's kind of the next step. Mm -hmm. But I see a lot of people kind of getting that 250, 350, 400 range. And they're always just pursuing the next hundred thousand and they're sacrificing more of their time. Literally killing themselves. All these guys look they're like they're 10, 15 years older than they are because they're wearing themselves out. But they don't realize like you're gonna have to make uh, like three times that amount to really change your lifestyle, you know, and mm-hmm. is it really worth it? So at some point we realize like, are we just chasing revenue because we want to impress people at the at the social club or the golf club? Or I'm a, I'm an eight-figure entrepreneur. How many times have you and I heard this on social <laughs> media? Like, I'm a seven-figure this, I'm an eight-figure this. And you think that. Because you're a six-figure revenue business owner, you're lesser than or some somehow lesser than a seven-figure or an eight-figure. Oh, oh, they're a little further ahead. But no, there's eight-figure companies out there that lose money every year. A lot of companies, a lot of $10 million selling companies lose money every year. So you'll have a person with a $300,000 revenue company that makes $100,000 a year is actually a better entrepreneur than that $10 million company that's losing money. Think about that. Because- To me, revenue doesn't mean shit without net profit. If you're not making profit, then you're running a charity. You're just working for free and you're trying to be productive or you're fulfilling ego or you think that you're an entrepreneur, that you're better because you got 100 employees versus this other guy got 10. Like, no, who's taking home more at the end of the day? That's going to tell me if they're a better business owner or not. And most people don't like to hear that because we're in this Internet social media thing of, well, I got to be seven figure. I got to be eight figure. I got to be nine figure. Like, at what cost? Mm -hmm. What do you want to earn? How do we work backwards from that? And then we determine what is your your time requirements to do that? Because you talked about control. If you're happy making a million dollars a year with five employees and you can control and still be a part of that, there's nothing wrong with that. Mm -hmm. There's absolutely nothing wrong with it. But if you want to go 20, 30, 40 million dollar company with a team of 100 employees, you're definitely going to have to have ranks and ladders and putting the right people in place.
0: Yeah. No, I think starting with the end in mind and trying to figure out what is most important to them and working backwards is a great place to start. To help build that lifestyle for the future for them, so appreciate mm-hmm. you sharing that. And uh, yeah, as we wrap up the episode, you know, here Tony, really appreciate you coming on. I gained a lot of insights, not just about you and some of the expertise that you talk about, but I know the audience will as well. Um, any last pieces of advice, and then we'll kind of talk about show notes where people can stay connected with you. But any last pieces of advice that you have for entrepreneurs right now, um, you know, moving forward over the next you know couple of years and, and beyond?
1: I'm I'm really focused more really since age 40. So a little over 10 years now of making sure that you're pursuing your income. I don't have to be, say it's a business. It may be a job for someone that's listening to this. Pursue income with things that fulfill you mm. build teams. Like you mentioned earlier, like you find people that you want to work around and you want to be around. You want to help each other. Like that's far more valuable, far more rewarding than just chasing the next fad. I think that there's too many people that are just chasing fads to try to shortcut the dollar and, you know, we've seen it. We, they, they were the CBD expert. They became the NFT expert. They became <laughs> the a, they're the AI experts now. Like they're all AI experts. But you know, before they were crypto experts, mm-hmm. or they were real estate investors. So it seems like every six, seven months, they got a new business card, a new website, and they're throwing out a new funnel. Don't be those people. Don't be those people because I know very, very, very few of them that actually became successful, and it's usually from a stroke of luck or just something occurred and. You know, maybe they got unveiled and they, they they kind of took off by a bigger mentor. Mm-hmm. So, you know, quit chasing quick dollars. Realize that get rich quick is measured in years, not months. And do things that you enjoy, that you have expertise in, at least that you have curiosity. And you may not be an expert at something right now, but if you're compelled and you're very curious about that and you're very interested and you're willing to do the research and learn about that industry, you're going to have a lot more passion and energy behind what you do versus someone that's just trying to adopt the latest trend Quit doing trends. Quit trying to follow trends. Quit taking advice from people that are just doing trends. Find out what makes you resonate, what gets you up and excited every morning. Go invest in that. Learn from people who have done what you haven't done, and then you're going to get that result. But it's going to take years, but it's worth it.
0: Hmm. Love it. Great way to end the episode, Tony. Thanks so much for coming on. Where can people stay connected with you online? We'll put that in the show notes.
1: Yeah, if you're already listening to podcasts, go check out mine. It's 365 Driven. And that's my website as well, 365driven.com. And you'll hear all my my socials and the books, and everything there. And if you had any questions or give me some feedback from this episode, go ahead and, and send it to me on Instagram or Facebook. I'm always happy to answer those questions for you.
0: Yeah. Appreciate that. We'll put all that stuff in the show notes. And if you're looking, if anything resonated with you, definitely provide feedback to Tony and be sure to stay connected with them online. Feel free to reach out to him, not only listen to his podcast and things like that, but learn more about 365 driven and all the things that Tony has going on. So Tony, thank you so much for coming on today's episode, man.
1: Hey Adam, thanks for having me. It's a good conversation and you know, keep going, man.
0: I appreciate that. Thank you. I look up to you and it's, uh, it's amazing to have you on the podcast. So thank you. And I want to thank you again to the audience for tuning in to today's podcast. Please be sure to subscribe, download, and share our content. Leaving a five-star review goes a long way. Be sure to tag Tony in this episode so that way more people can learn about Tony and everything we talked about here today. We'll see you all next week. Remember, entrepreneurs aren't born, they are brute.
1: I'm an entrepreneur. Entrepreneurs so aren't born, they're bred. Thank you for listening
0: to Entrepreneur Podcast with your host, Adam McChesty. us